Hey, welcome back to the program. Let's begin with a hmm. Let's begin with a prayer. I, I was going to say a scripture reading. I was going to read the scripture, <laughs> but it's a long scripture, Acts chapter three. So instead of doing that, I'm going to pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the gift of Easter. I thank you for the gift that you have called us to be witnesses in the world. You've called us to go forth into the world. Lord, give us the grace today to be open, to be useful to you in moments that we are not thinking of, we're not aware of, that we can be surprised by you coming close to us and moving through us in this world. Lord, help us to get a greater sensitivity to that call that you have for our lives. Come, Holy Spirit, Spirit of the risen Lord Jesus, be alive in us and move through us in this world. We make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You remember Lent was all about what? It was two parts to Lent, right? Going into the desert, there was that part about being set free from the Egypt, from the slavery that's in our lives, and it's being set free for. It's being prepared and formed in order to enter into the promised land of good things. And in a, that's the Exodus journey through Lent. But then there's also the journey with Christ through Lent, which is that the Holy Spirit moves us out into the desert, like he moved Jesus, in order to be tested, tempted, and again, tried by fire, and formed and readied to be led by the Spirit in order to enter into the moment of mission, the life in ministry. So we move from intimacy to ministry. We move from identity to mission, to purpose, right? Identity in that moment of baptism. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, in whom I delight. And from our baptism, the Holy Spirit has filled us and and now pushes us into greater intimacy as we encounter the Lord Jesus, as we come to know him and grow in him and he grows in us. We then reach Easter where we are to be living and showing the world that death has been overcome, that death has been destroyed, and the first fruits of that show forth in our lives. We are the first fruits of Christ's resurrection so that we're different. We should be different. We should we should this should be something that radiates from our lives that's different than the lives of those who are not baptized, who are not living a vibrant, vital life of faith, who do not have not been given the gift or not living in accord with that gift of an intimate, personal, profound, life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. So from that encounter, we talked all about that encounter with the risen Lord yesterday in the scriptures. Yesterday, we focused on these deep encounters with Christ through locked doors. Christ will come and enter into those places of suffering that makes us not only want to shut down and shut off others, so shut shut out others, but also cut off God from our lives. We'd rather go through it alone because it's just too hard. Yesterday we talked about in John chapter 20 how Jesus comes through those locked doors, he shows the wounds, speaks the word peace, breathes on the Holy Spirit, and then they can go forth from that place of suffering to be witnesses in the world. I then talked about Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 13, where we have the story of Cleopas and the other disciple, a member of the 72, on Easter Sunday. They're preaching the good news as if it's bad news because they're in conflict, they're in relationships, and Jesus comes to them unrecognized, and he walks with them on the journey. And then there's the revelation that Jesus is with them. The risen Lord Jesus is with them in the breaking of the bread. And so Jesus restores them to communion, not only with him, but with each other, because they then go from arguing in one direction to running to proclaim good news in the other direction. That's the fruit of the resurrection in our own lives, in places of suffering and pain, as well as in our own fundamental relationships, like in marriages and family life, how we want to foster communion from conflict to communion. We want deep communication and uh, and shared life together. Well, then that leads to the next scripture. The next scripture is from Acts chapter 3. That's the story of Peter and John going up to the temple to pray. Remember, this is after Pentecost. So after Jesus rises from the dead and uh, after the 
the 50 days he ascends, 40, uh, 40 days he ascends to heaven, 50, and after 50 days there's the descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And now here they are with the, the fullness of the Spirit at work in their lives. Now they're going to go forth into the world, and that's where the story picks up. Okay, I know I went pretty quickly through all that, but what I just what I just like kind of traced out there, those are like that's that's meat. That's 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 not just a an appetizer. <laughs> that's that's the meat. That's the heart of it all when it comes to our life of faith. That if we're if we're living our lives as Catholic Christian disciples of Jesus, then these great events in salvation history are intended to have some impact on our lives. Uh, when I worked with executives on on high-stakes communications and delivering impactful presentations, I used a simple flow. What, so what, now what? People might know the information. They know the what. But there needs to be a translation of the what into the so what. Like, What? What is the Paschal Mystery? Well, you might know and can answer theologically correctly that the Paschal Mystery is the passion, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. You mo- you, you'll know the what. What happened on Good Friday? What happened on Easter Sunday? What happened on Holy Thursday? You, you know the what. But what's the so what? What's the big deal? What, what does it mean? What's involved in it? What's entailed in it? Why is that important for my life? How is it connected to my life? How is that relevant, to use a, a word, Why is that meaningful? What difference does that make for me? The so what, that, there's a lot at stake for us. There there you go. The the so what is the what's at stake in this. What's at stake in this? Don't, Don't just tell me what's happening. Tell me why it's important for you and me right now. How is it related to you and me right now? What does this have to do with how you and I are living our lives right now? That's what I'm getting at. We just went through all this stuff for Lent, but there's a reason the reason why we went through all this stuff for Lent, now we're in the Easter season, is that we are being grafted onto, configured, transfigured, transfixed, transferred, transformed. <laughs> I'm using a lot of trans, a changing over into Jesus Christ. That it's the encounter with Christ, the risen Lord Jesus, who has gone through death, who is now alive in us, and, and that he, not that, that truth, that he is alive in us, is intended to move us. He moves us. His spirit moves in us and through us. We're called to move with him. And that's where discernment comes in. Discernment is sensing what's God's will. What's God's will for me right now? What's God's will for me in this moment? What am I supposed to do? I'll give you two stories from uh, from yesterday. So I'm recording this on Let's see, what's today? Tuesday night? Tuesday night. So on, uh, so you listen to this on Wednesday morning. So yesterday, yesterday I uh, had a meeting in the morning, went to the meeting. It was out near Way Heights. And then I um, was trying to go meet up with uh, a doctor that I, a physician that I had met um, at an open house that I was doing. I do this real estate, and at this open house, there were lots of folks that came through. And I wanted to follow up with this doctor who I knew worked at this hospital. And so I, when I was driving back, I, I wasn't going to be that far away from this hospital. So I went to the hospital, and I didn't know where his office was. And so I got to the, the hospital, parked, and and ended up parking on the wrong side of the building. And I said, do I have to go drive around? They said, no, just walk along this long corridor and go up to the fourth floor, and, and you, you'll get to where his office is, I think. Okay, great. Well, let me go figure it out. So I went down um, and kind of curled around the building, had to get directions, but eventually got there, <laughs> got up to the office. And uh, sure enough, oh, there, there he is. So I was able to get connected, and then um, I, at that moment, said, okay, now, well, now it's time for me to go. So I left that office and got into the elevator. And before the elevator door closed, um, another woman got into the ele- another woman, a woman got into the elevator with me. So it's just the two of us, and, and the elevator door closed. 
And she's, you know, probably 70 years old. She had on a, um, like what would be like a, kind of like a snow hat. Um, but it was, it didn't have like a pom-pom on it, but it was a hat that just snuggled close to her head, like a winter hat. And it covered her head pretty snugly. And, you know, here I am in a hospital and I knew I was the, the section of the hospital I was in was right next to the oncology wing. I could then surmise that this woman was probably battling cancer. And so as we're going down in the elevator, we just have a few short floors together. I just said to her, oh, I just commented on the weather and how it had gotten nicer and it had snowed before and hopefully it's going to get hot soon. And yeah, and she was, you know, being responsive. And uh, and then she was just saying in passing that it just it was a little bit hard today. And, and then she said, God is good. And... As the, as, the, as the door opened, God is good. <laughs> and I said, all the time. She said, have a good day. And so I, uh, so I was following her out of the elevator, and she turned and started to weave her way around to this long set of hallways that I had taken to arrive on that side of the building. I wasn't, you know, that was, it wasn't the ordinary way to get to the, to the wing where I was. Well, she's making the same trip back and we come around a couple of turns and, and then we reach this long stretch of hallway and we have to get buzzed through the door. And I, she goes, she goes through and then I go through and, and I say, Hey, I'm not, I'm not stalking you, but I, um, uh, you know, I'm walking on the same direction you are. And she says, yeah, I have to go to this other wing of the hospital for my next service, uh, my, my next uh, treatment. And, uh, and then she, she mentioned how she comes there every week. Um, and I'm like, oh, so she's probably on chemo uh, of some sort, some regimen. And so I ended, up, um, I ended up feeling this prompting on the inside. Pray with her. Pray with her, Tom. I don't know who this woman is. Just met her in the elevator. Never seen her before. And I had chit-chatted with her a little bit, but we weren't talking as we were walking. And I felt this prompting on the inside that said, pray with this woman. Tell her you're an angel sent by God, sent by me. I've sent you to her to pray with her at her place of need. And I'm like, okay, well, let's go. <laughs> so what did I do? I just gently reached over because now we're kind of walking side by side down this long, long hallway. And I put my hand on her shoulder and I said, I am an angel sent from God. And she looked at me. I said, yes, I am an angel sent from God, a messenger. An angel means messenger. I'm a messenger. And I've been sent by God to pray with you. And I'm going to pray for you right now. And she just kind of heaved a little bit, and we kept walking. And I just prayed with her. It wasn't hard to pray in a way that was like, okay, what does prayer do? Prayer, a priest, the, the role of priest is a mediator. You're mediating the concerns and the situations and, and the realities of the people before God, and you're bringing the, the, the concern and the, and the heart and the situation and the reality of God to the people. You're a conduit. You're a go-between. It was not difficult for me to represent and speak from the place of her desperate need for the Lord to him. And it was not hard for me to sense the love of the Lord and the desire of the Lord to minister to her in that moment. So here we are walking, we're walking together down the hallway as we're praying. I didn't stop and she didn't stop. I just was praying with her as we walked the length of that hallway. Lord Jesus, just be with her. Let her know that you love her, that you're with her on this journey. As we walk this journey, and we were literally walking this journey, Lord, help her to recognize that you are with her. You are loving her and that you're going to take care of her right now. Bless her at her point of need. Lord Jesus, just come close to her with your love in Jesus' name. Amen. And we reached the end of the hallway. She then was peeling off to go off to her other treatments. I was going out the the uh, the, do the doors out back into the parking lot. She just looked at me, just said thank you, and she had tears in her eyes, and just was just was like a sincere, heartfelt thank you. And off she went. And I thought, wow, 
God, you're pretty amazing. Like I thought I was there to go see that doctor. No, I was there because God wanted me to God wanted to be the divine physician in that woman's life. And I got to be the vessel that he used in that moment to communicate his loving kindness and his presence. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. So, so I just shared with you that story of what happened uh, yesterday uh, at the hospital. Oh, the hospital is called Holy Family and Providence. <laughs> Providence, God's providence, God's providential care that we are one holy family in the Lord. Uh, the church is the family of God, and here we are. And, and God was like, yeah, I need to get this guy to show up over there at this time. And this, like, you think of the the linking up, that the actual connecting points between the likelihood that I would show up when I did, as I did, I was in the office, that I was there as long as I was, but no longer. I made that elevator at that moment, and she made it and said, could you please hold the elevator? And she got in at that moment. Oh, by the way, I didn't mention, when I asked her her name so I could pray for her as we were walking, her name's Carrie. <laughs> Not my Carrie, but Carrie. And it's just like, oh. And I said, that's my wife's name. Oh, my goodness. So just all these little linking points of, of, now, some people from the outside, if you're on the outside of that, you could say, wow, what a, what a, what a wonderful set of coincidences that happened to bring the two of you together. And it wasn't it opportune and propitious that you also were willing to take the initiative and say a prayer. Yeah, you can see it and say that that's all there was, if you'd like. But from the inside, it, being immersed in it, experiencing it the way I did, walking through that reality, it was really cool. It was like, wow, God, you're just amazing. You are really amazing. You have a thousand things going on, a million things going on when any one thing is going on. And we just want to be part of it. I, I want to be part of it. That, that's what I want with my life. I hope that's what you want with your life as well, is this attentiveness to discern what God is up to and to interpret what part is yours to play and then have the courage to take action and do it. All right, you probably weren't paying attention, but I just said four key words. Four key words that are fundamental to Acts chapter 3 and to the actions of Peter and John when they encountered the lame man at the beautiful gate in the temple. Those words were attention, discernment, interpretation, and response. Are we paying attention? Are we alert? Are we on the lookout? Are we awake to the promptings of the Holy Spirit who might ask us to do something? And so there I was in the, in the elevator, and all of a sudden there was this prompting this sense of, are you alert? Are you awake? Are you realizing what's going on here, Tom? It's more than just saying kind words to a, a woman in a painful circumstance who's feeling a bit lost and, and afraid and alone right now. No, no, the Lord is up to something. The Lord is, is intending to pour his love into this woman's life, to minister to her at a point of need, to help her to realize she's not alone. That's what the Lord is doing. And you know what? He's in asking you to get involved. He wants you to get involved. And he's going to get you involved, not just by being friendly and chatting, but by praying and being a conduit of ministry, actually the conduit of ministering God's love, are you willing to do that? Are you courageous enough to respond? Are you going to be quick enough to respond and do that? Attend, discern, interpret, respond. Attend, discern, interpret, respond. That is the flow of our life of faith. That is the flow 
of the call to be a disciple. That's the Easter flow. When there's an overflow of the life of grace, when there's an overflow of, of the grace that death has been conquered in my regard because Jesus, the living Lord, who has conquered death, including my death, he's alive in me. Okay, did you hear what I just said? The Lord Jesus Christ, who has conquered not just death, his death, but all of death, including your death, your death has already been died. And you know what? The one who has conquered your death, he's alive in you. So you don't have to fear death because you know what happens when you die. The one who has conquered your death already, 2,000 years ago on the cross, he is alive in you. And he's like, I got you. Hang on. You're already inserted into me. I know the outcome. And I've already given you the foretaste I've given you a share in the peace and the joy and the light and the life and the intimacy and the love that comes from sharing in my sonship, in the filiation that God the Son has with the Father. We already share in that life now, not fully, not completely, not perfectly, but we do. And because of that, we can look around at a dark, broken world and say, all is not lost. No, what has been lost is now found. What has been bound up has been set free. What has died has been raised. And I share in that and I am a witness to that. So I can stand in those places that are dark and broken and I can speak life and light. Okay. I mentioned two stories. The second story wasn't quite as dramatic, but I don't know the outcome yet. Okay. So I you, you, um, you, if you've listened to the program, you know that I make it a, let's call it a typical practice to go to daily mass, right? That's, God has blessed me with enough discretion regarding how I set my calendar and my schedule so that I can make it to daily mass if I simply am willing to make going to mass a priority. That's it. That's all it takes. I don't have much in the way of excuses to not make it to daily mass. And so my standard practice is to go in the morning. And by the way, folks, if, if, if I asked you the question, and maybe this is a, not an easy, fun question, but it's what's stopping you from making it to mass every day? You might say, Tom, I get to work early. I get to work by 8 o'clock. Well, I can point out a place where there's a 6.30 in the morning Mass. And if you tried hard, you could probably find a 6 in the morning Mass and a 7 in the morning Mass. And you know what? It might not be convenient to you, but you could get there. You might just have to drive longer. So now it's like, well, I would love to go to daily Mass, but I'm not willing to drive an extra half an hour or 45 minutes to make it to daily Mass. Okay, that's fine. No condemnation, but it does speak to priorities. It does speak to what's important, okay? Don't tell me what's important. Show me how you live, and I'll tell you what's important. I know that this is kind of like a men's conference talk now. <laughs> when are we going to man up, right, and, and take on a difficult good? Not an easy good, not a convenient good, not a soft, fun good, but a difficult good. And say, I'm going to make that my priority and see what happens. Okay, Sorry. I'm, I'm coming around to my excuse. Okay, so I said it's my typical. I don't, I'm not 100%. I'm not 100%. So on Tuesday, I had a long day. It was, I was up early. I was pressing through. I was going, going at it all day. And Carrie's not home. Okay, well, she got home late last night, but not home during the day. And so I'm also Mr. Mom to five kiddos and they're on spring break. So there is that added complication. And I am juggling. I'm a master juggler these days with the folks that I'm serving in real estate, helping them to buy houses or sell houses. And by the way, if you want to see some really cool homes and other properties for sale, go to drtomcurran.com. Uh, I've got a number of listings of property uh, on the lake, up on the top of a, a beautiful view over a lake, beautiful in a beautiful family development, uh, a couple of family developments, if you like Idaho or if you like uh, Washington, on and on it goes. Some beautiful, beautiful uh, opportunities there. And if I could serve you, I'm helping folks buy homes right now as well. Folks that are coming this way in particular are most of the folks that I'm serving. And I love that because it's that whole mission of helping families make create uh, courageous steps 
for the good of their family and, and those that are called to do that and, and do it in this way, love to serve them. Anyways, um, so I was doing that through the course of the day and I got home and, and at the beginning of my day, I had said the most practical mass for me to go to is at 5.30 in the afternoon. And sure enough, I stumble out of my car at five o'clock and I'm exhausted, just wiped out. And I thought, the Lord understands. <laughs> the Lord understands. I'm really tired, Lord. Really, am I in 15 minutes going to crawl back into my car and, and go to Mass? Really, am I going to do that? And I, I've got all the, again, the complications with the kids that are here and all of this. <sighs> Thank God the Lord understands. Thank you, Lord, that you understand. And sure enough, it comes to 5.15, and I got this prompting inside, this little prompting, go to Mass. I'm like, Lord, I thought you understood. Go to Mass. But Lord, Lord, do, don't you remember that, that little dialogue we were having before about, you know, how you will probably, you know, give me some space because I, I'm I'm really kind of spent right now and I'll probably fall asleep at Mass. I, I won't be attentive. Go to Mass. Go to Mass. You don't know what's at stake. You don't know the reasons why I want you to be there, why I'm calling you to be there why it is necessary in my purposes and plan for you to be there. But if I'm the Lord and you're not, if I'm the shepherd and I, you're my sheep, if my Holy Spirit is prompting you, then you have a choice. You can yield. You can yield. You can surrender. You can submit. You can be docile. And you can go. Or... You can live in disobedience. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Now, the house wasn't on fire as far as I could see. There wasn't anything so massively happening to either keep me at home or to drive me to get to Mass that I was aware of, that I consciously knew. But I did know this, that if I didn't go to Mass... I had the choice of being tired and staying home and being disobedient, or I could go and be tired and at least be obedient. And so I pulled myself off the couch and jumped in the car and went to Mass. Now, full disclosure, I got there late. I had a you know, somewhat prayerful spirit along the way, and um, I ended up um, at Mass, just just being there, and lo and behold, at that Mass, a fellow comes in, 30 seconds after me, I thought I was late, he came in 30 seconds later, and it's a guy that, I'm like, I haven't seen him in, in a while. And I know we'd been trying to get together. What's he doing here? He doesn't live around here. Why is he here at the 530 Mass? And then I was like, oh, wow. Wow. This is at least one of the things that the Lord was doing. At least one of the things the Lord was doing was getting me to Mass to meet up with this guy that easily we would have just continued maybe to float apart because we both live busy lives. But the Lord brought us together. And sure, sure enough, come to find out, you know what he said? I said, hey, what are you doing here? And he said, not, not like, what are you doing here? Get out. But what are you doing here? Surprise. And he says, well, I normally go to 6.30 Mass in the morning every day at St. Joan of Arc in Post Falls. But they didn't have it this week, Easter week. There not enough priests around to, to have as many daily masses. And so he says, I couldn't make it. So what did I end up doing? I ended up looking around and trying to find a mass that was available. And sure enough, I saw this one because I had meetings over here through the rest of the day. And so I just penciled it in. And, and we ended up having a, a good conversation a kind of a catching up conversation and a commitment to get together. So I was like, wow. Now, 
I think the Lord was doing other things as well. Other things in, in terms of my prayerfully entering into Mass and praying for people and, and receiving Holy Communion and who knows what else the Lord was doing. But that at least was a, a sign. There was something concrete and different about that Mass that happened when, um, when uh, it happened when I ended up going out of obedience and, and he went going out of devotion uh, and his own sense of commitment to making it to daily Mass, and the Lord brought us together. And who knows what God's going to do with that connection. So I share that with you. Again, it's one of those, one of those, let's, let's call it, again, foundational ways of living your life as a Catholic Christian disciple of Jesus, that the spirit of Easter the Easter sense of overflow is that you're going to flow out into the world. And as you flow out into the world, what that means is you get up and you move into your day. You should do so with this basic dynamic of attend, discern, interpret, respond. Attend. Pay attention. What is God doing? Uh, discern. All right, Lord, what are you up to? Interpret. Uh what is my part in bringing about what you're doing? And then respond. How am I supposed to courageously, quickly obey what it is the Lord has for me? So those are my uh, examples that are connected to um, just one day, one day in my life. But I'm going to dig into this now as it relates to Acts chapter 3. It's another one of those uh, basic scriptures that are part of the early Easter season, and there's a reason why the church is teaching us something about how to live in our Easter season. How am I supposed to live my Easter? We get Lent with giving stuff up, prayer, fasting, almsgiving, but do we get or has the spirit of Easter gotten us so that we can move forward into the world? Let's talk about that when we come back. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Carn. It's great to be with you. So we are talking today uh, in this section, in the last section, about Acts chapter 3, which is the story of Peter and John going up to the temple to pray. Again, Acts chapter 2 was Pentecost. Acts chapter 3 is about... Um, the healing of the crippled man, the lame man who is begging in the temple. Um, oh, by the way, to tune in tomorrow. Tomorrow I have on as a guest Layla Miller. She's an author and writes, she's written a number of books, but she's going to help me tackle head on a couple of themes around marriage and divorce and how we as Catholic Christian disciples of Jesus are called upon to stand up for the church's teaching, even in the face of resistance and difficulties when it comes to looking family members in the eyes as it relates to the decisions that some of them make in their own marriages and what do we do about that. Not easy. And so Layla Miller is going to talk to us about the suffering that children of divorce go through. And so I want you to uh, take in a voice who has courageously explored this theme to bring it out into the open because I know it, it's, it's a delicate reality, but it's also a hard truth. And we have to hear these truths and be able to explore not just what they are, but so what? What do they mean for us? And now what? What are we going to do about it? That flow that I talked about earlier in the program. So, Tune in tomorrow for Layla Miller interview. And if you want to see the interview, it'll be posted on my Facebook page, I Love My Catholic Faith, and posted on my YouTube channel, My Catholic Faith TV. So um, any one of those uh, will be opportunities for you to get access to that. Or just go to mycatholicfaith.org and you can access all of those as well. Okay, Acts chapter 3. Once when Peter and John were going up to the temple for prayer at the three o'clock hour, a man crippled from birth was being carried in. They would bring him every day and put him at the temple gate called the Beautiful Gate. Okay, now, there's an awful lot said right there. And I know I don't have time 
to dig into all of that. But Peter and John, right? You have to stop and ask yourself, hold on a minute. So these are two of the leaders of the apostles, right? Peter, the, the preeminent one, first among them, uh, and, and John, right? The one whom Jesus loved. Here they are going up to the temple to pray. Even though they're leaders among the apostles, even though it's after Pentecost, they're still going to the temple to pray. Isn't that striking? That they're Christians, and they still see the temple, the Jewish temple, as a place to pray and encounter God. Now, it says they're going up to the temple because the temple was on a hill. And it's, it, it says at um, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, in, in Greek, it says the ninth hour. It was at the ninth hour. And if it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it's the ninth hour. What does that mean? It means the day begins not at midnight like us, but it begins at sunrise at 6 a.m. And the day ends at sunset, right? So begins at sunrise, ends at sunset. So the ninth hour is 3 o'clock. And what are they doing going up at 3 o'clock in the morning, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon? Well, they're sanctifying the whole day. And so in this in the Liturgy of the Hours, we, we continue to do this. We have morning prayer and evening prayer, which you know about, and night prayer. But you also have midday prayer, I'm sorry, mid-morning prayer, midday prayer, and mid-afternoon prayer. And priests are, are called upon to pray um, one of those three hours, one of those three, either mid-morning, either uh, midday or mid-afternoon. They have a choice. So, um, well, and, um, and what happens at three o'clock in the afternoon was the evening sacrifice. So there's an evening sacrifice offered in the temple at three. So they're going up for this, uh, for, to participate in this, even though Pentecost has happened. Just ponder that for a minute. It's really interesting. Okay. There's a man that's lame or crippled from birth. Um, literally, it's from his mother's womb. And how old is he? We don't know. Uh, but he's put at the beautiful gate. Now, where is that? It's in the temple. We know that. So you have outside the temple. Then there's a gate. Then there's the court of the Gentiles. Then there's a gate. Then there's the court of Jewish women. Then there's a gate. Then there's the court of Jewish men. Then there's a gate. Then there's the court of priests. Then there's another gate. And then there's the Holy of Holies. So that's the sort of like, think of it like a, a bullseye with all of these different rings. Now, the beautiful gate was either the gate into the court of the Gentiles, the court of Jewish women, or the uh, between the Jewish women and Jewish men. So one of those three is where the beautiful gate was. And so you have a crippled beggar placed at a beautiful gate. Do you see the irony there? There's something really ironic about this crippled man being placed in front of a gate that's called beautiful. Uh, there's a way in which most people would sort of turn away and say, well, why are you like disturbing the, the the beauty of this scene. You, you're, you're a disturbance to us. You're, you're not helpful being there. I wish you'd just go away, right? There's, there's a way in which we can act like that to those situations that are a little uncomfortable, a little bit maybe confronting us with our own personal like approach to things. So, but it says that he was carried there each day by people. And, and you just stop and you say to yourself, well, wait a minute. The fact that he was carried there shows just how uh, powerless he was, how helpless he was. He had a forced and unavoidable reliance on others. And he arrived at the same time every day. Well, why that late in the day? Like, why wait until three in the afternoon? Well, you'd know that it'd be more crowded at that point. But what was he doing for the rest of the day? Well, He's asking for alms, right? It says that he went to the temple gate to beg from the people as they entered. So the interesting thing is he's actually fulfilling his duty as a Jew. He's doing what he can. His only source of livelihood is begging. Okay, so now that's the situation. He's there every day. Peter and John are not doing something that is foreign to them. They're doing something that they've done countless times, but today's not any day. Today is different. Today is a moment where they, living in the spirit of Easter, are going to be open to be prompted by the Holy Spirit to move them. Remember, attend, be attentive, be awake, be alert, be on the ready, be on the lookout, because you don't know what's going to be happening. And so what happens? It says, when he saw Peter and John on their way in, he begged for an alms. Peter fixed his gaze on the man. So did John. Look at us, Peter said. The cripple gave them his whole attention, hoping to get something. 
Do you hear those lang- all those words? Fixed his gaze, looked intently, look at us. He man looked at him, gave him his whole attention. All of that language. And it, it's about looking intently is take him seriously. Relate to him as a person. Don't just gloss over. Don't just rush him by like you already know exactly what's going on here. No, no, no. The lame man gave him his attention. <laughs> now, why? Well, when he said, look at us, and, and he saw these two guys intently looking at him, there's that sense of saying, ooh, I'm, I'm going to get something. I'm going to get some gold. And Peter immediately, then what does he say? He says, I neither have silver, silver nor gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. Then Peter took him by the right hand and pulled him up, and immediately the beggar's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped up, stood for a moment, then began to walk around. Okay, what is going on here? Well, what's going on here is that Peter, in looking at him, says, I don't have silver or gold. Now, does that mean he doesn't have any money? No. No, 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 no. Uh, remember now, the, the, early, uh, the early believers, they held everything in common, so he had something. But when he says, I have neither silver nor gold, the, the beggar could have been very disappointed. Well, if you don't have silver or gold, you've got nothing. You've got nothing for me. But uh, it, it, it's possible that he's probably saying, I, I have no money for you right now. Right now, I don't have silver or gold, but I've got something else for you. But can you see what Peter and John are doing? They're being attentive. They're on the alert as they're walking in to the temple. They're walking in. They're walking by a familiar scene, a familiar place, through a familiar gate, and there's that familiar guy, but this is not the same day. This is not the same moment. This is a moment where the Lord is breaking in. He's breaking in. He's saying, notice him. See that guy right there? That's the guy. Pay attention to him. I'm doing something. And when Peter and John looked at him, they must have thought, Is he having us pay attention to him because he wants us to give him money? Is that what you want, Lord? Are you saying to me you wanted us to pay attention to him? We're attending to him. Now we have to discern what are you up to, God? What are you up to? And they discerned the Lord is not up to providing for that man's needs providentially, financially, by by having us give him gold or silver. The Lord is doing something more. He is going to make that man a sign and a wonder. He's going to heal him. He's going to give him something he could not ever have imagined happening. He's going to get fully healed from his lame condition. He has been lame from birth. All of a sudden, that's what they discern. They've attended, they're they're alert, and then all of a sudden, now they've discerned the Lord's going to heal him. The Lord is going to do something. But then something even more shocking happens than their discernment. And you know what it is? I'll tell you in a minute on Sound Insight. Hey, welcome back to the program. Do I got you? Are you wondering what's more shocking than their discernment that the Lord is going to heal this lame man from birth that they've passed by so many times on their way to the temple and that today's not any other ordinary day? What's so radically different? What's so new? What's so special about today, it was the interpretation. The interpretation is what? Remember now, attend, discern, interpret, respond. Attend, pay attention to where's the Lord at work? Where's the Lord at work? Don't just expect that every day is like today. In every moment, in every situation, every relationship, in every interaction, is just like every other one. No, God is up to something in in this one that's different. Pay attention. Oh, wait a minute. What does he want? Does he want to do just what he wants? He's asking? Does the Lord just want us to give him money? No, he's going to heal him. Oh, wow. John, did you, are you getting this? Are you discerning this too, John? Peter's saying that he's going to heal him. Let's stand back and watch. Let's stand back and watch Jesus heal him. And, and, and does he just shout in the, name of Je- in the name of Jesus the Nazarene walk? Just points at him and says, if you have the faith to believe, get up and walk. Is that all that happens? No. Peter reaches out his hand, takes him by the hand, and pulls him to the feet, to his feet. Do you realize what was at stake in that? Do you realize what that means? That Peter, in that moment, not only attended that God is drawing our attention over here, not only discerned, God doesn't want us to give him money, God is going to heal him, but has interpreted the manner in which God is going to heal him is by my proclaiming the healing and then reaching out and taking him by the hand and pulling him up. Why is there so much at stake in this? Well, at one level, a very simple level, 
if he's wrong, he touches this lame man, he becomes unclean. And if he becomes unclean, all of a sudden, it's going to be a lot harder to operate. He's not going to be able to go in the temple. He is not going to be in a simple position any longer. It's going to get a lot more complicated for Peter if he's unclean. So touching the man, taking him by the hand, is a risky maneuver. And Peter knows this. And yet Peter, he interprets that what God is doing requires him to make an action, a couple actions, that are actually quite courageous. Number one, it's to proclaim it. Number two, it's to reach out and take him by the hand to touch him. And number three, it's to lift him up. Now imagine he proclaims it, he takes him by the hand, he lifts him up, and he falls back over, not cured. That's the bigger thing. That's the more of what's at stake than just him becoming unclean. If he gets this one wrong, if this man doesn't get healed, he's going to set back the ministry of Christ and the church quite a bit. Because here we are in the well-traveled, out-in-the-open, public scenario, situation, uh, and he proclaims it out loud. Jesus commands you to walk, and he lifts him up. Like, why didn't John say, hey, man, let's kind of take him around the corner. Let's whisper it in his ear, and let's see if he can get up on his own, and then only help him once we have, like, the sign that it's working. Can you imagine? There's a lot going on there, and yet Peter does it. So look what he just did. He attended, he discerned, he interpreted. He attended. Pay attention to this man, the, the lame man. He discerned. God does not want you to give money to him. God, want, God is healing him. He interpreted. It's your job to announce this proclamation to him, to, to go up to him, to address him, to have him look at you, to announce to him that he does not get any money, he's going to get healed, and then reach out and take him by the hand and lift him up. That's what I'm asking you to do. And then the last step is respond. Do it. Take action. Be courageous. He doesn't step back and say, Lord, am I getting this right? Lord, can you give me a sign? Can you have like, a, like three other apostles show up and say they had the same thing happen to them? Lord, can you just give me like, a, like make the guy wiggle his toe? Just give me some indicator that this, a confirmation, Lord, that this is what you want me to do before I put it all out there. I'm going to go all in before I go all in and take this on. Lord, I'd really like you to, um, I'd really like you to give me some sign. No. Courageously obey. Courageously obey. That's what he's asking for. Courageous obedience. And Peter does it. That's amazing. That's amazing. And what ends up happening? This guy, he gets to his feet. His feet become strong. He jumps. He stood for a moment. Walked around. Remember now, this guy's lame from birth. Never done any of this before. And then he goes into the temple with them, walking, jumping about, and praising God. Walking, jumping about, and praising God. And when the people saw him moving and giving praise to God, they recognized him as the beggar who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple. They were struck with astonishment, utterly stupefied at what had happened to him. As the man stood there clinging to Peter and John, the whole crowd rushed over to them excitedly in Solomon's portico. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people as follows, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? <laughs> well, Peter, let me tell you why this surprises us. We've seen this guy every day for as long as we can remember, and he has always been lame, and he has always been lame from birth. And so it's a little bit surprising to us, Peter, that all of a sudden he is jumping around praising God when he has been lame from birth. That's why we're surprised. Um, sorry. <laughs> And then he says, why do you stare at us as if we had made this man walk by some power or holiness of our own? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the, our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, 
whom you handed over and disowned in Pilate's presence when Pilate was ready to release him. And then it goes on from there. And so uh, he uses this as an opportunity to preach. He uses this as an opportunity. You read this message, it's pretty strong. It is like, bam, right between the eyes. Like, it, this is, it's Jesus who did this. Remember Jesus, the one you disowned and put to death? The Holy One of God? Now, this Jesus is alive, and you put your faith in him, and your sins will be forgiven. You'll get refreshment, and uh, you'll know Jesus as your Messiah. And, and it goes on from there. But that flow is what I wanted to talk about. Easter is, is really, if, if Easter is really about us entering into the promised land, that means we now face the battle to live out our identity. Because that's what the promised land was. It was a place where they experienced the fruits of their being set free from slavery in Egypt. They had their own land. They had their own possession. And it was a land flowing with milk and honey. This is amazing what they received. But they then had to face the temptation to be true to their identity, to live out their identity, not to, uh, not to give in to idolatry and foreign worship. They had to live their faith and battle to be faithful. Or in following Christ in that spirit of Lent moving into Easter, after Jesus comes out of the desert, he starts the public proclamation of the gospel. And so we are supposed to be proclaiming the gospel. We are to be ready to be those public witnesses to Jesus Christ. Yes, even in hospital elevators and hallways. Yes, even at Mass. Yes, uh, as we follow those promptings of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And so I know that it's easier to give up chocolate and popcorn and coffee than it is to be a public witness to Jesus Christ, but there's a reason why we did all of those other things to strip us from the attachments that hold us back and make us soft. There's a reason why Christ um, has communicated to us, poured into us his Holy Spirit so that we can, in fact, be public witnesses that, that proclaim faith in Christ courageously. That through the work that we do, that Christ does through us, right? it's not any holiness of our own. It's, it's not, we don't have that power on our own, just like Peter said. But we shouldn't be surprised either. We shouldn't be surprised. Like Peter, look, why are you surprised? We shouldn't be surprised when the Lord begins to operate and signs and wonders and deeds of power, performing miracles, yes, even through our lives. Yes, even through our lives. Are you ready to sign up for that? Day one, right here. Lord, make me an Acts 3 disciple. Lord, make me an Acts 3 disciple. Give me the grace to attend to your Holy Spirit. Be open to the promptings. Give me the grace to discern what it is you're doing. Give me the grace to interpret how it is I'm supposed to play a part in what you're doing. And Lord, give me the grace to respond courageously and quickly to what you're doing. I want to see your signs and wonders on display. I want to see people leaping for joy and praising God because they have become the recipient of the good gifts of God poured out somehow mysteriously through our lives. God bless your day.